I should write a book, Confessions of a Bitcoin Wife. You should. And the confession will be, I don't worry about money because money is fake. Once you start seeing things a certain way, you just question things you wouldn't question before. You would spend time and resources that you could put towards our son uh-huh. ruining your ex. You're listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon, and, and we're, we're the, the Recepies. My husband loves Bitcoin, and once a week, I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap, maybe, but it's a lot of work. If I'm going to do something, may as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience-funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm, this ain't your grandma's podcast. This is podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe, Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola to Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Sawadee, Thailand. Hola, Brazil. Good day, Canada. And good day to the UK. Hola, Argentina. Buongiorno, Italy. And Namaskar, Nepal. And howdy Howdy to Texas. Texas. What time is it, babe? The current time is 807-889. And if I gave you one US dollar, how many acres could I get on Bitcoin Island? Today, you could get... 3,743 acres, a.k.a. Satoshis, on sunny Bitcoin Island. I think that's all you can tell me today, right? Because your little fancy website's down. Yes, PricedInBitcoin21.com <laughs> is not coming up as we record. So Uh-oh. I don't know how much eggs, beef, or gas are at the moment. What are we going to do? We'll survive. Okay, okay. All we know is that they're going to be cheaper next year. You're positive? Having's coming. How much you want to bet? That the halving's coming? That everything will be cheaper next year in Satoshi's. I thought it's not guaranteed that it would happen next year, but it would eventually happen. Okay. You pick the date, and then I'll say what I'm willing to bet. Um, this time next year. So it's September Yes, it'll 15th. all be cheaper. Everything. Yes. All right. Yes. Or what do I get? I guess you have to pay twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're not going to see the benefit of it in a year, even if the price of Bitcoin does skyrocket. Why wouldn't we? We're not selling our Bitcoin. No, but the Bitcoin that we have is worth more. Yeah. We could exchange it for those things. We could spend our Bitcoin. We could spend our Bitcoin, right? But like, So you're good with us spending our Bitcoin, just not selling it. No, 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 no. The, the, the point that I'm making here is... I look at Bitcoin as one of many things that you could own, Mm -hmm. right? So you could own a car, you could 
own eggs or beef or gas, as we talked about on the show. And if I wanted to buy those today, you know, they would cost me, I think a dozen eggs was like 4,000 Satoshis last week or something like that, right? Okay, next year, I have to make a decision again. Do I want to spend my Bitcoin on eggs or do I want to keep holding on to them? So to me, even though I'm not buying those things in Bitcoin, they are getting cheaper for me because I always have the option to spend the Bitcoin that I got years ago for a lot less. Like that is always the option that you have. It's a judgment. It's a value judgment that everyone that owns Bitcoin gets to make. When you don't own Bitcoin, everything just costs the fiat price. That's the only option you have. I guess. I, my, my mind doesn't work that way. I know. But that's one of the examples of why you're not a Bitcoiner. I know. I told someone the other day that like, um, yeah, my husband's a Bitcoiner. I mean, I we're Bitcoiners. And then I was telling Ian about the conversation and he was like, you are not a Bitcoiner. He like put me in my place and you just did it again. No, I mean, it's not a, it's not to put you in your place. It's that when you say you don't think a certain way, I'm just saying, yeah, I know because you're not a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. Like. That's why All we do this podcast. Bitcoiners think that way. I would argue that, ooh, okay, there's a great clip uh, that started circulating, I guess, this week of like last year, Jordan Peterson did a podcast with like three Bitcoiners, right? And he knew nothing about Bitcoin. He's a, he's a relatively intelligent individual who knows nothing about Bitcoin. And on that podcast, they're like explaining Bitcoin to him. And on that podcast, he has like, you see it in his face, the like aha moment about, oh, well, if that's true, then like that moment, right? Mm-hmm. I would say that some Bitcoiners have had a lot of those. I haven't. I would say that you've had a few that I probably directly explained to you, but you don't actively like go seek out more information about it. The only information you get about Bitcoin is from me. You're welcome. I get I, 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 I give you the chance. So like I would say that a Bitcoiner is probably continually seeking out more examples of that. Y'all hear that? So if this is the only Bitcoin podcast you listen to and you're only getting your information from Ian, he doesn't think you're a real Bitcoiner. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I'm, I'm saying. I'm turning everyone against you. I mean... <laughs> I'll be the villain. It's your dream to be the villain. You're too nice to be the villain, babe. (laughs) That is the only reason that I would like to be like ridiculously Bitcoin rich is that I could do like some actual super villain type stuff. Yeah. Okay. So like we're walking to dinner tonight and Ian tells me the story of uh, like something that's going on the internet of this woman who slaps a guy and then he like throws a brick at her. Right. Something like that. And it's just sparked all of this debate online about, um, you know, what bystanders should do in that situation, specifically men. Apparently there are a lot of men around there. She pulls out her camera and she's like yelling at all of them, saying none of these guys came to my aid or defense or rescue. Internet bands together, finds out she's a scam artist, like put stuff out. Still, there's this conversation around like, well, should people go and help someone when this happens to them? Did she, I mean, a brick as much, all of this stuff. So then Ian's like, oh, and then this woman, she comes out and she's like, look, if my man is there, if my husband is there, he doesn't need to protect you. I need him to protect me. I don't need him jumping in, risking himself. So Ian's telling me this whole story and Ian's like, yeah. And so like, 
I don't, I don't think I would jump in and help someone because yeah, like I'm only supposed to be like, you know, protecting you. And I'm just like, in what freaking world would Ian not help someone in need? Like you don't even know what a nice person you are. No, what I was saying is that what that woman said made me think differently about that situation because I'm not saying that those guys should have, but you're right. I probably would have. You would. Right. But, but what I that think one, you but, assess whether or not someone deserves help. I think you're maybe. very good at that. I don't think you would maybe specifically help this woman based on how you described it because she was the agitator, right? I, again, I don't know the full story. All I'm saying is, and the point that you got to is that what that woman said made me actually think about would I go help? Because my default response is I probably would. You would. You're a nice guy. You're kind of a hero. You're like, oh, I'm a villain. I'm a super villain. No, you're the hero. I mean, I don't know. I I know. I'm your wife. I don't know, man. Don't like, you say like your I, spouse or partner knows you better than you know yourself? Look, like. Like, I know okay. exactly what you would do if there's someone in distress, man, woman, child. Okay. But like, remember that episode of Atlanta where he just ruins that woman's life? She deserved it. It was last, it was the, their last season, one of the last episodes but, where he like completely trolls this woman. No, but like. Who would well, mess with him. Basically, this woman worked for TSA and she caused him to miss a flight for one of his business deals. And in this show, he's like, at this point, a pretty wealthy person. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's, I'll say like the puff daddy of this universe that he's created like at this point. And so he has the resources to get back at her. And what he does is find out that she also has this book that she's been shopping around. Children's book. This children's book. And so he basically hires a crew of actors to like convince her that she sold the book and then like videotapes it all. He videotapes the whole trolling of her. And then at the release party on the TVs, he's playing the video of this troll that he did. Like if I had the money and resources, I would 100% do that. Like, I knew that's what was going on, like, the whole time. I, I was like... I know you think that. I, I really would. But I also think that you are just good to your core. Mm. And you would be like, Ugh, I don't know only, their history. I don't know what they're the, going through. Ugh, the, I'm just... I'm going to give them better for the doubt. The only thing that keeps me from being a supervillain is resources. Time and resources. That's it. Okay. I mean, like, I've never have, seen you with a lot of time or resources. I have so to go right to now. work. For eight hours a all day. All I know is that you deal with nonsense all day long, including from me, and you're I, a sweetheart about it. I don't have time to <laughs> concoct supervillain plans. But my point is that think of like uh, uh, Max Kaiser. He's like a very prominent Bitcoiner or your favorite rich Bitcoiner, uh, Michael Saylor, right? I, sure. Michael Saylor was, was already wealthy, right? But he's going to be probably like ridiculously crazy Bitcoin wealthy, right? If you gave me those resources, 100% supervillain. Guaranteed. I don't believe it. I have a list. I have a list. Who's the first one? Who's the first one? Yeah. Uh, the first one I would say is my last ex. You cannot go after an ex yes, when you're I can. happily married. Yes, I can. <laughs> With a child. Yes, I can. You would spend time and resources that you could put towards our son. Uh-huh. Ruining your ex. If I have resources, I can basically give a plan to someone and say, execute this plan. The the time that it would take to draft the the work order. (laughs) Maybe, but I'd do it. I'd do it. Um, 
but we're way off topic. I pitched something for us to talk about tonight, but before we get into it, what do you want to tell me about Bitcoin? Nothing. Nothing's going on. There's a lot going on. I'm letting you go on a tangent. I'm not going on a tangent like you. <laughs> I am going to let you talk about what you want to talk about. All right. So in America, there are two major strikes that are happening right now. Labor strikes that affect me personally. <laughs> the Hollywood industry, movie, television industry is going through a strike of the writers and then also the actors. The writer strike happened first and the actor strike hopped on. I think they're asking for similar things. It's a historic that they're both happening at the same time. Um, I think they've already passed the 100 day mark, the writer's strike, but their demands, their initial demands were like laughed at. There was a lot of talk about how um, the studios are just going to wait them out and hope that people lose their houses, their livelihoods, all of those things. So they'll just come back to work. But it seems like it's become such a monumentous, powerful strike that they're not going to be backing down anytime soon. And there's just a lot of like other financial support that's coming their way and fundraising and like the more wealthy um, members of those unions have been funding support funds and all those things. So that's what's happening with with that industry right now. And I was thinking like, all right, well, they're trying to adjust to this new reality of like one, the economy, right? A lot of it is about what they're getting paid. And they're saying this isn't a living wage because of just how they get paid, the hours that they have to work, their work conditions, and then how streaming has changed their business model. Whereas when things were aired on television, they were getting paid a certain way in residuals. That just doesn't happen with streaming. The other side of it is AI and them wanting a commitment that basically AI isn't going to take over their function. They're not going to be selling their rights so that AI can just generate out their likeness or other things like that. So that's what's happening there. And I was thinking, well, like they're trying to adapt to what society is right now, which is mostly streaming and inflation, right? A lot more, but okay. Those are generally like the, those two and AI, right? Like technology. Yes. Right. Yes. And let's connect that to the value for value model. Okay, like value for value can happen outside of Bitcoin, but we tie it to Bitcoin. But how could value for value help these people or help them rethink their careers, their finances or like how they are generating revenue, whether it's like an individual or the industry itself? Like when I think about the individual, I think you are a content creator value for value is probably going to benefit you sooner than later. But I think if you're an employee of like a studio, you're kind of screwed unless the strike strikes up a good deal. Um, So uh, a couple of things on the writer strike and the actor strike and the things that have changed in the industry. Um, One of the things that Bitcoin is doing is it is decentralizing money. You know, money has centralized in the hands of a few large banks around the world over the last hundred years. And uh, Bitcoin is like 
actually breaking down that uh, centralization back out to the hands of the people. Well, I would argue that Hollywood is just centralized entertainment, right? Like you can lump Disney into that if you will, but basically that whole entertainment industrial complex is centralized entertainment. And just like Bitcoin is decentralizing money, I think Bitcoin can decentralize entertainment. How? Well, that's kind of what you're getting at with the value for value model, which is like, so, you know, we promote our show on Fountain. We, we can do what are called splits on Fountain. So on Fountain, you can send a boost, which is a couple of sets. When they come into us, when they're sent to us, we have it set up where, for example, 1% of all the sats that come into us go to Sparrow Wallet development. That's like a thing that we've already been doing for the last like five or six episodes. The reason why that's really powerful is because, number one, it's not like we're Spotify where we're taking in a pile of money and then promising to give it to Sparrow Wallet development. It's literally we never touch it. It directly goes to them. When it comes to centralized entertainment, what has happened is that we, the consumers, we buy tickets at the top, right? Like we buy tickets from the movie theater at the top, which then pays the studios for the rights to play the movies. Or we buy Hulu and we pay Hulu the money. It doesn't go to the people who created any of the stuff on Hulu until like many steps later. Mm -hmm. And so what I think is that, you know, Hollywood movies and television are all like at the end of the like, centralized entertainment that's not digital and then you get to this new area of streaming which is it's kind of decentralized right like you got all these different streaming platforms yeah. right but like it's a ca- it's chaos but they're all owned by like two companies yeah. but that's not the point but the point is is that it's kind of started to decentralize again right they went from like you just get cable and then you get what you want to like i gotta pick and choose the apps well I would argue that we have like another cycle of decentralization where you have extremely good content that you would expect to find on Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever, but it's made in a more what we today would call like YouTube way, where it's literally just a three person operation, but they're able to make such good content, but they're able to make such good content because they have the tools like AI. Right. It's so like the writers and the actors are striking because they're afraid of AI. But I think that AI is going to actually help fewer people make the same quality stuff. But because they made it in this new world, they'll re- they'll get all the value from what they created versus it trickling down through streams on Hulu. What you're describing, I think, could work for some type of content, but not all things can just rely on technology. No, but I think there's certain types of content that can be made where technology can be levered in a way that really, really, really increases the capabilities of a few people. Yeah. and But look, I watch a lot of television and I'll say what I've noticed is, you know, these streaming companies are just churning out nonsense crap, right? I'll give anything a chance. I'm always just curious to see what is being made. Not even if it's like good, even if I know it's going to be bad. I'm like, what did they make here? And what I've noticed is more and more, I don't know if it's COVID costs or both, but they're just less people in everything. There'll be a movie and I'll see maybe six actors in the whole movie. And I think, well, was this film during COVID? Did they not have a lot of people? Did they not want a lot of people on set? Or as a result of COVID, they've decided, well, we're not going to have scenes where there's 
50 people walking and it feels inauthentic. Like I love television. I love movies and I love experiencing a version of the human experience through that. And you don't get it. You don't get television. It doesn't hit that way when there's only two, three people in a one and a half hour movie. Sure. And so I think all things that are currently what we call television, 30 minute shows, actors making jokes or some drama or whatever, right? I think all of that is going more towards the YouTube type of creation. Like that's all the crap that all these networks are churning out, right? And if it can be successful in the YouTube world, then we'll bring it over into our world. But all these uh, streaming studios or whatever, just like churning out crap, they're going to stop taking on that cost. And the only way that those things are going to still be made is at this other cost level, which will probably have to leverage that same technology, AI. At this cheaper cost level. That, that lowers the cost so they can still make those shows, right? But it's very similar to what television and uh, movies did to the theater, right? So it was like, if you wanted to see entertainment, you went to the theater when no one had televisions, mm-hmm. right? Then this thing called television invented, but it takes a while before you get Marvel movies onto that little television. It took many different expansions and contractions of the entertainment industry to where you and I can watch a three-hour, multi-billion-dollar budget movie, Avatar 2, sitting in the comfort of our home. Like that experience used to cost like hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars. And we watched it for $20 in 2023, which means it's probably like a dollar, really. We watch it for free. We use my friend's account. Even better, right? <laughs> so like the theater used to be the experience. And then the movie theater became the experience. And I think that television, as we know it today, with sitcoms and all of that, has to move out of the way. And movies become the new television, where it's like, we only make good movies. See, I really disagree with that because movies are not good anymore. Television is really good. There are amazing TV shows in the past decade. I think it is the golden era of television. Yes, there's a lot of nonsense, but what a 10 episode or eight episode TV show can do, a movie could never do. Why do you think we are in the golden age of television? Because there's so much. Let's, Let's reverse engineer that, though. You're saying that we're in the golden age of television. Because there's so much of it, right? There's so much of it because why? Why do they decide to make more television? A movie is maybe a three to six month project. Most Mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. A TV show has a stronger environment for people to become a team that's working together for a year or more. There's multiple seasons. And there's space for character development. And each episode can get better. You're cutting, you're ending it, you're starting over again. Like there's that process. Whereas when you film a movie, you're filming an entire movie and then you go to the editing room and you can't, I mean, if you have money, you can go back and film more. So let me, let me, let me add a little bit more to this. When would you say this golden age of television started? Pick a year. And I don't know, Breaking Bad. Like 2005? Maybe. No, that's too far back. I would say like 
six, five years ago, it was where like every month there'd be like another television show where I'd be like, this is an amazing television show. Okay. Now, you know what I'm going to say next? Bitcoin. Oh. <laughs> is that a good guess? You're heading in the right direction. But the reason why we're in the golden age of television, I agree with everything you just said. It's because all the money that was being printed went to Hollywood. Didn't go directly to Hollywood, but more money came into the system and that money starts landing. Oh, yeah. Well, that money gets printed and then it starts landing in the economy. It doesn't land in the economy all at once. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that money landed in venture capitalist funds. And a lot of them put money into Netflix, Hulu, and all that. They were like, make more seasons of Bridgerton. <laughs> sure. not exp- I would pay for that myself. I mean, that's not explicitly <laughs> what was. Let's give them some Bitcoin to make me more Bridgerton. This strike is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Are we going to lose Bridgerton? Are we going to lose all these TV shows we love? I think so. I mean, that's what happened last time. Yeah, they're canceling a bunch of shows. Um, but my, my, my point is that basically you ended up with all of this cash in these streaming services. And so they, being flush with cash, were willing to take more chances. What was that uh, streaming service that completely collapsed? I don't remember the name. Quibi? That sounds like something that failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like um, 15 minute shows, man. Yeah. 15 minute shows. They you can fit like, more television in 24 hours. They were like, oh, my God, this is going to disrupt the whole industry. It did. It did. But there was so much money sloshing around that someone pitched that idea and it got funded. A lot of like funding. it lost a lot of money. I think it lost like half a billion dollars. Right. So with all of this money that was printed. You see, which is what the Austrian economists talk about, why they say you don't want to print all this money, is you see malinvestment. The golden age of television is malinvestment. We don't need all these shows. We don't need all this entertainment in our economy. We don't. This is not productive. Yeah. It's employing people, sure, but the thing that they produce does not add value. It doesn't make the roads better. It doesn't make the planes on top. Like it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't. We don't need as much of it. But the malinvestment that we've seen over the last 14 years is in everything. It's in the entertainment industry. It's in the car industry. I love Tesla, but they would have had a really hard time without the billions of incentives that they got to start. Mm -hmm. That was also part of all of that money that was printed, Mm -hmm. right? There's plenty of car companies that have already failed. A, a, a company just the other day declared bankruptcy. Uh, Lord, was it Lordstown Motors or something like that? They came and went before they even had anything on the road. All right. right. Let's talk about malinvestment then. Let's but, talk about YouTube. Let's talk about YouTube ads. How much money is just flying around going to content creators on platforms like YouTube because they're just, just ad dollars from the most random garbage companies? Yes. Yes. It's all that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why. In the value for value world, if your show can pull in, let's just pick a big round number, one Bitcoin a year in actual Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. that Bitcoin was not printed. Yeah. A show that produces one Bitcoin a year is a way more valuable show to me 
than a show that's on Hulu. So there needs to be a fountain for YouTube. There probably will. And if Fallon gets if Fallon gets going fast enough, they could possibly be the mm-hmm. fountain of YouTube. Um, but the the Bitcoin economy, the it is a closed economy. We just don't have all the same services as the fiat economy right now. So we don't have the equivalent of YouTube or Hulu where you buy, you pay with Bitcoin and mm-hmm. we don't have that yet. So just like we were talking about with Bitcoin Island and like how much are the eggs, it's like, well, can't really buy eggs with Bitcoin on Bitcoin Island, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't live in El Salvador, right? But technically there is a place where I can. So it is kind of part of the economy. There's no YouTube for Bitcoin. There's no Spotify. Well, there's Fountain, right? But like yeah. we have to build, we have to build all those services in a Bitcoin way. And some of the technology we have, like I would say Lightning and Layer 2, helps what we see and call now value for value, right? But the way that Fountain is doing it, it's not like they're in in their like in their defense, they're hacking it together, right? But this is getting a little technical, but just to give you an idea, like there was a period of time where it was very hard to get video in a browser. Mm -hmm. And then someone invented which is basically like the MP3 of video. Mm -hmm. And then everything took off, right? Mm Well, that technology, if it was to be created like in a Bitcoin sense, it would have built into it because it's a Bitcoin protocol, like let's call it a layer three of some sort, right? Like it would have built into it payment capabilities. So like the way that Fountain is like streaming sats for listening, it's like it's a hacky way. They got to count how much you listen and then move the sats from your wallet to their wallet. Mm -hmm. I'm saying the stream itself has the Bitcoin flowing through it. Get on it, babe. Figure like, it out. Like, these are the things that are going to exist, mm-hmm. but we just haven't gotten there yet. And so I look at the value for value as we see it today with Fountain as like, we we need this. They're hacking it together. And I'm sure in five to seven to eight years, someone will figure it out where it would be a million times easier to make Fountain then with that new technology. I just think that like, the the current industry will will never really adopt those things they're going to have to be built over in the bitcoin economy and flourish and then all the good content creators will flock over there and then they'll pull all of their listeners with them and then their listeners will start to understand like oh no my money goes directly to them i don't give it to spotify to give to them or patreon to give to them or it goes directly to them. They can say whatever they want. There's no like locking their PayPal account, right? Like once everyone who participates in like the influencer creator economy, the producers and the consumers figure out what Bitcoin can do for them. I think that's a no brainer for all of those people. So yeah, you would be able to say, I don't care if someone throws a brick at a woman, I ain't helping her. <laughs> I mean, and you won't get canceled. <laughs> you know, I heard someone say the other day, like you, the only people that get canceled are famous people. So like, if I am, if I ever become cancel a bull, I'll just be happy. Like, go I ahead know, and cancel, you'll be like, go ahead and cancel, flushing, like, go ahead and cancel me immediately <gasps> after that. Do you care enough to discuss whether or not I should get canceled? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that like Fountain is so early 
And this might sound like an ad for Fountain, but like our whole podcast is an ad for Fountain. But it is a very <laughs> but Fountain, I think, is a very important part of the like Bitcoin story and what Bitcoin can do. And like that's why I want them to be successful so much is because I don't think what they have is like the best that it could be, but this will bring competition. And the competition just breeds a better and better product. Yeah. Also, I think it's exciting to be able to experience it. We talked about this right when we got on Fountain. It was such a different experience as podcasters on that app versus the other ones. Number one, you could talk to your listeners. I'm period. Like that's that was enough that I didn't. Hi, have Cindy. To, I, yeah. Hey, Cindy. We didn't have to go on social media to do it. So yeah, like there's just a lot of things I like about Fountain and it does feel early. Like our podcast is early. Listen to our first episode. It's very, we've we've gotten better. So it's, you know, everything's a work in progress, but I, you know, just to bring it back to the strike, I will say like, you know, the writer's strike, the rule of the writer's strike is that they cannot be writing anything, which I think is stupid. I think if you are a writer in the writer's strike, I doubt that's start true. working on some YouTube content, as Ian is suggesting, <laughs> or start a podcast on Fountain um, and make them money, honey. Or even better, if you're a writer and you're happy to be listening to a Bitcoin podcast, like write content for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many shows about like ridiculous fiat things. Why can't there be like a really good show about Bitcoiners doing good? You know, there's so many and Bitcoiners bit- doing bad, <laughs> like the supervillains. Like, why oh, can't there be a show? A dream. Why can't there be a show like that? I think someone would make it. And I know all the Bitcoiners would watch it. We'll be consultants and they will all pay in Bitcoin. You might be able to produce something that produces multiple Bitcoins for you on your first project and be set for life. I will say that I see a lot of Bitcoin jokes. Every time I watch television now, oh yeah, yeah, there's a Bitcoin joke in there. And often it's not, you know, negative. It's like, yeah, give me some Bitcoin. Oh, he's got some Bitcoin. What are you, Bitcoin rich? Like, I hear those jokes a lot. And I'm like, somebody in the writer's room is a Bitcoiner. Yeah. So, like, hopefully there are some Bitcoiners on the writer's strike. And hopefully they're out making Bitcoin content. Because the Bitcoin economy is completely separate from that fiat economy. It's completely separate. Yeah, we won't we won't tell on you for being a scab. I don't think you'd be a scab if you did. No, because no, because if you're working for Bitcoin, you're not on strike. What does that mean? Like the deeper point of Bitcoin, and we kind of get into this on the episode every once in a while, but like it basically is going to boil down to for everybody figuring out that getting paid in dollars, euros, yen or whatever is literally being paid in counterfeit money. Like it, it, the, the, if you're a Bitcoiner, you're there now and everyone else is just going to take time to get to that point. And if you're on strike and you're doing a project that you plan to sell for Bitcoin, I would argue that you are not on strike because in that sense, you are working for a completely different economy and there are technically no unions, right? It's, it's I'm a, not sure that's how the union laws work, but no, no, I'm no. sure that's how you think. No, no, but what, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, it is proof of work system. If you create something that's good, Bitcoiners, by definition, will consume it because there's so little Bitcoin yeah. content like that. So number one, they'll give you a fair shake. Yeah. Look at everyone who writes a book. Everyone buys the book. I got Jimmy Song's book coming in the mail like in a couple of days. Like, 
We all buy each other's stuff. We all support each other, right? I should write a book, Confessions of a Bitcoin Wife. You should. And the confession will be, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. <laughs> Other than what my husband tells me. He says I'm not a real Bitcoiner. That's literally what the book would say. I mean, don't. Don't make it. Don't sell. give it away. Don't make it sell that book. That that sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it would be like, I don't worry about money because money's fake. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that like a real housewives intro? That's a, that's, 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 a, that's a good like a series of things a housewife says who's married to a Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a good parody thing. All right. So if you are an actor in the actor's strike and then, you know, a writer or you're also a writer in the writer's strike, work with me. We'll do a parody account on YouTube of uh, confessions of the Bitcoin wife and I'll say ridiculous things and we'll make money. Oh, Problem solved. I just solved the strike problem for everyone. Oh, this, 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 this could be good though. Like, there's so many things like steak. Yeah, I cook it in a cast iron, which you don't get, but it's a Bitcoin joke. Yeah, Bitcoin husbands <laughs> or wives, I guess, would love that. But like, we need a name for like if you're the Bitcoin spouse versus like, because I know there's a lot of 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 women out there trying to convince their their husbands too, and women trying to convince their wives. We're an equal opportunity uh, spouse of Bitcoiners. Uh, union. <laughs> so Ian, you watch a lot of like YouTube unproduced or not unproduced, like low budget stuff, right? I like a little presentation and what I consume. I like scripted stuff. So of the scripted stuff, that you've watched on the couch next to me while I've had playing. What's been your favorite TV show lately that you've watched with me? Or movie that we've watched? I don't know. There's that one show that's uh, narrated by the tennis guy. Never Have I Ever? Never Have I Ever. That one's pretty good. That's Mindy Kaling, right? She's the producer, director. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think a writer. That, she's a writer. She does it all. Yeah, she's a polygot. Um, no, like I think that show's pretty cool. It's very like unorthodox in its humor. I don't. I don't think like things are telegraphed on it. Like I'm usually like, oh, that's that's funny. Like because I didn't see it coming. Yeah. So I enjoy that. That's probably the show. There is some shock value in that show. I love that show. It's yeah. uh, it's actually one of the most popular shows on Netflix internationally because it's about a brown girl. So I mean, I can yeah, see that. I yeah, can see yeah. That. Um, as a brown girl who I think, I mean, I was not as awkward as Davy, but I get it. She was, she was super. John McEnroe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it. Like, I guess I kind of related to her. I was not as cringe as her. Like, I would like to think I was cooler than that in high school, but probably not. Um, but I just love whenever teenagers in television or movies have strict parents because every single teenager in American movies and television can like go to any party they get invited to. They can go and they can, their parents like don't know where they are at night. Like it's just wild to me. And I remember I would get in trouble watching that stuff with my parents because they'd be like, is this what you want? You want to be like these American kids whose parents don't care about them? And I would be like, yes, that's what I want. Yeah, that is like, 
that is a very different aspect of that show. But the thing that caught my attention at the very beginning was that it was narrated by John McEnroe, who is the most angry tennis player ever. He's like known for like his tantrums and all that fun stuff. And he's like the narrator for this brown little teenage brown girl. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, if that's how she feels on that's the inside. It's <laughs> like she's she's Doc, she's John McEnroe on the inside. Okay, yeah, I can see how life might be a little hard. <laughs> yeah. That's a good show. Any other shows you really like? I mean, every other show we pretty much watch together or I don't. What about Only Murders? No, that's good. Yeah. We watch Only Murders in the building. I mean, that show I don't like suffer through it. I'm not like not watching it. But like I don't have to watch every episode of Never have I ever. Yeah, you right? don't. We but sit like, and we watch, watch uh, only murders. Yeah. Right? Wednesday so, nights we sit down and watch them. And this Day is not night. an ad for only murders either. Um but they're not paying us. No one pays us. We would take their money though. <laughs> yeah. They're a podcast though. So when Ian and I decided to do a podcast, I made us watch the first season again. Cause at that point the first season had come out. None of the other ones, second and third hadn't, but I was like, we should watch this to make sure that we're doing a podcast right. And there are all these rules for like the first podcast episode. And somehow maybe I'd subconsciously like taken in the advice, but we had done it. It was like drop the first three episodes at once. And that's what we had done. Do you remember? I guess. It's yeah, just very yeah, yeah. meta, like watching a show about a podcast when you have a podcast, but theirs is a murder podcast. So it's a little different. I think that doing this podcast is very helpful for like both of us. A, I get to talk about Bitcoin, but also like you're slowly coming along, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't think you're all the way there yet, but like you're slowly coming along and I think you're starting to see things a little differently than you might've seen them a couple years ago. I've, I think I caught you doing that a couple times. And so like, you know, there's a saying, it's like, you don't change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you. Like, obviously it's changed me a lot, but it's funny. I catch you every once in a while. Like you'll say things that. Like what? Um, I'll point it out. Like, specifically All right, yeah, when it's you do hard, it next it's time. hard to say those like, on the spot. But like you, you said something, I would say like in the last month or two. And I only know this because I've mentioned it to, to my friend we were like driving back from austin mm-hmm. and like were you like damn i love that girl she just gets it well no i was i was uh <laughs> just say yes <laughs> just say yeah i was gushing about you yeah that's not how i talk <laughs> um no i was just saying how like i see bitcoin changing mandana like mandana talking about bitcoin alone is like making her think differently than she did before and it just it's like you just can't help it. Mm-hmm. It's very like intrusive because once you start seeing things a certain way, you just question things you wouldn't question before or like just take it face value before. And I think like you tying the writer strike to value for value as a possible solution to the striking problem. I don't think that you would have said that like when we met, even if you knew everything that you knew about Bitcoin at the same time. I think when you met me before, you would have discussed more about like what the strikers could do differently or like what to do as a striker. Or I would just complain about the greed of, you know, I mean, you do that a lot less also, but you still do it. But like, I 
I mean, but like you do um, it less. Just to be very honest, I used to be very angry at a lot of things, and I just don't have the energy to be angry anymore. I want, I don't want to get riled up about things because I think everything is horrible. <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, maybe there are solutions. I love television. Um, I love movies. I love actors. I love writers. I love like everyone that works on all of this stuff. I think it is such a fun industry, even though I know it's a very like horrific industry as well. So just watching this happen, knowing how the industry is changing, the technology is changing. I also know that soon we are going to not have content come out. They're shutting down production. They're running out of things that they've already filmed. So I also know that like soon there isn't going to be new content out there. And it's not the worst. What, you think things are going to still come out? False. No, what I'm saying is there will be tons of stuff coming out. Yeah, but not by my faves. Not by your faves. But this is this is like what's different about this strike is... When was the last time they struck? They like stopped making all the TV. That was writers. But so, that, but they like the stopped making stuff it. also, right? That was like a, like six months a year. Yeah, it was six months, and that was before streaming. But they were striking exactly. for streaming. Exactly. The landscape has changed. There are a lot more people today that don't watch any of those things because they only consume internet content, yeah. whether it's Twitch, TikTok, I YouTube. Know. Right? I'm not one of those people. Okay, so like, I guess I'm a boomer. You're, you grew up with television. I love television. But my point is that when there is no writer strike on YouTube, no one strikes on YouTube because everyone keeps making their stuff. There's no one to strike against. I mean, they're not in a union. <laughs> but but they're all making their own thing yeah, is my point. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's what I'm saying is I think if you're not the person making your own thing going forward, it's going to be harder and harder to survive. Yeah. Because I you're going to have to keep all of the revenue that that thing generates. And that's why I think this strike is going to be different. It's not going to play out the way they think it is because you got Twitch streamers that make millions of dollars a year. I understand that not everyone can be a Twitch streamer, but like that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. You got to convince that guy to pay your salary. You got to provide value to that guy because he's figured out how to produce something at a profit for basically no overhead. And he has the money in there to pay people to do stuff. These networks. Yes, they're greedy bastards and they have the money, but like they're still applying budgets to shows. But these shows take so many people to make. Yeah. And like you said, I want it to be like, boom, I want the people and the. the I, Not I want always, but look, but Marvelous like, Mrs. Maisel. I love that show. They you, put the money into it. Yeah. You cannot make a show like that without the best of the best in the industry and a really good budget. And that's my point. But it's a freaking work of art. But that's my point is those are the only types of shows that are going to be made in the future. I hope so. So all that other stuff either goes away or goes down to YouTube. But then the problem, I think for me, I mean, I could talk about this all day. I don't want to drag the conversation, but your Hollywood, let's just like lump them together historically would say only this is going to make money so that they would only make the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, there's a surge of funding for all of these other projects and you get, yeah, but it gets you really different stories like never have I ever, which is a story that they would have never funded. They would have never made a show about an angry little Indian girl. So there is going to be like a cost to they're only going to be, funding projects that they know are going to be good because how do they know something's going to be good? 
all that stuff is going to start on YouTube, where the person whose idea it is, the next Mindy Kaling, is going to be making little sketch comedy shows and funny stuff. Yeah, I mean, that happens it's now. It's happening, right? Lisa okay. Ray, uh, Misadventures at sure, an Awkward sure, Black sure, sure, Girl. Sure. That, I think, is the path. Goes into Insecure. Like, eight years later, she made Insecure. But, like, I think... It was a very long path. That's going to be the only viable path going forward. It's already happened in music. It's already happened in music. You're not getting a record deal unless you're already popping. Yeah. Right? That's already taken over the music industry. All I'm saying is Issa Rae's first. She's in that early pioneer stage. Yeah, but the, Issa, the Broad City girls too. But the Issa Rae, the Broad Cities, the Workaholics, like that path is the only path after this writer strike, in my opinion. Well, a lot of them are also stand-up comedians. Sure, but that is the path. Like there's plenty of stand-up comedians that have their own YouTube channel that do stuff, right? Like I, I found a guy recently, he's really funny. Uh, there's like tons of people that are doing that. But I think that like, the people who've been doing that already, you may as well accept that somebody who's famous on YouTube right now is going to be the next Seth Meyers or like those late night talk Philly shows. Right? Singh, do you know what they did to her? Like, no, really, let's keep talking about brown girls. Lily Singh was one of the most, is one of the most successful, popular YouTubers. Yep. Skit comedy, all of that stuff. NBC gives her... Like the one thirty time slot a.m. and says, oh, woman in late night. They give her this show. She very publicly is like, they tried to give me no budget. I had to fight for a budget so I could have skits and things like that. And even then it wasn't enough. And after I think a year, she was like, I don't need to do this. I am killing myself for this model and for a budget from you guys when I can make whatever I want. And she just walked away. They didn't give her Jimmy Fallon's time slot. They didn't give her Seth Meyers' yes, time slot. because we're in today. I'm saying the next the next wave. You know how they just swapped out all the late night hosts? Yeah, with it, literally was, three of them have the same name, Jimmy. Sure, sure, sure. But my point is these, these, these swap outs happen like every 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, that just all happened, right? The next one. They gave it a shot with Lily Singh, but that just proves my point. They're pulling people off of YouTube who already have an audience. Did they fund her appropriately? No, because they're stupid. But the next person can point to Lily Singh and like, you're not doing that to me. And it'll take time before they figure out what that deal looks like. But you're going to have to bring like tens, if not hundreds of millions of followers if you want that deal. Yeah, and they'll have them. And they'll have them. And, and then we'll be set and it answers your question. How do we know that it's good? The market has already told you that it's good. But here's my point. Here's my You might not think it's good, but somehow 100 million people can like something, but you won't. <laughs> not you. I mean, at me. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but that's that's the beauty of like yeah. decentralized entertainment yeah. is that make everything. There's something for and, everyone. And there's something that most of us will like. And that is the thing that will get the funding. Right. Yeah. And here's where Bitcoin changes that whole game is. Lily Singh walked away and said, I don't need this. I can go do that on my, I was already doing that. You're like a step backwards, right? Yeah, literally okay. it was a step backwards for her. Now put Lily Singh or, you know, someone on that trajectory, but start them earning Bitcoin. And every four years, their Bitcoin is worth more. Now you're talking about by the time you get to the point where Lily Singh is today, that career that she built up, 
She's also been earning and saving in Bitcoin. It just gets easier and easier for her to make her own stuff because her Bitcoin gets more and more valuable. I would hope she already is. Bitcoin is decentralizing entertainment and it's doing it in a way that like, just like the banks didn't really see what Bitcoin was going to do to them until it was pretty much too late. The entertainment industry doesn't see what Bitcoin's doing to it, but YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and all these other things that like, they're showing you a glimpse of all they got to do is figure out how to become very wealthy over here. They don't need that. It's wild. Sometimes a, a TikToker will, you know, come up on my feed often and I'll be like, damn, I, I kind of like this TikToker. And it'll be there's this girl. She's Brit. She's Brit UK something. And she stitches and watches videos, which I don't understand how these people make it of them just rolling glasses of li- liquids downstairs and they break. And I'm telling you, she is so freaking entertaining. And I don't know how many followers she has, but I clicked her profile once because I was like, good for her, I guess. And she has so many followers. And I was like, oh, okay, she doesn't need me. I wasn't going to follow her anyways. Like, she's coming up on You were doing her a favor. But I was like, wow, there are a lot of people who like this. Yeah, yeah. She's giving the people what they want. I recently found like two or three things in that same vein. And then it's like, it's obviously funny to me. And it's like been funny for five years to millions of people. I'm like. Well, I all guess right. I guess we agree. I'm late to the party, but all right, let's party. But the one that I found most recently is uh, there's a guy who makes this. He's a comedian. He's a stand up comic, but he makes this like skit that he does where it's uh, Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, who is Obi-Wan's master. They're, I guess, roommates. And the three of them are sitting watching all of the Star Wars content. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like they haven't seen the movies, but each person know what happened in they real life because they all lived it. But it's mm-hmm. like so it's a really funny premise. Right. And my one of my friends is like a really big Star Wars fan. And so I sent it to him and I was like, hey, man, I know you probably seen this, but like I'm dying laughing over here. So like, I just found it. Right. And he's like, no, oh, I've never seen this before. And I was like, you're welcome. This this guy like he is funny. And if you're a Star Wars fan, it doesn't all hit. Uh, but it's 89% good. But I found this guy, millions of views, like been, yeah, been popular for a while. But uh, but it's, it's good because it's good. But Bitcoin is decentralizing the, the entertainment industry and all the next crop of these very popular people uh, are going to do it on a Bitcoin standard. And all that means is that if they could earn even a fraction of what they earn through like the YouTube ad model or whatever, if they can earn it from people actually consuming and streaming sats and boosting or whatever, we don't really have like viral stuff on like a very popular platform where you could show the power of like this thing generated $10,000 for one tweet, Mm -hmm. but it's coming, Mm. right? It's coming like Noster and zaps like kind of already show the possibility that like, Forever in history, like what's the most valuable tweet will be a very easy to find out thing. And there's going to be people that that is their sole job and they're going to produce a a living off of that. And everything that stems off from that, they'll never need to go to this centralized industry and say, hey, I need a budget to go to the next level. 
Bitcoin, the network is going to do that as all the Bitcoin that they earn just keeps appreciating in value. It might take them same amount of time that it took Colbert to get to that show, right? It took Colbert like 20 years to get to that show. What is Bitcoin going to do in 20 years? We're about to find out. It's time for shout outs from episode 72. Uh, special shout out to Cindy, Hunter SF, 770, and Jewel. Thanks for listening. We will catch you guys next time. It's time to join the Fountainhead Nation. Go to fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone. Once you've installed the app and have set up your account, search for Flirting with Bitcoin and follow us. You should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well. Listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first sats, which are fractions of a Bitcoin. And keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on Fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.